Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Green Book Podcast. I'm Karen Lynch. Happy to be hosting this episode today when I get the honor and privilege of talking to another one of our Futurelist honorees. Today, folks, I have Ben London with me. He is Director of Consumer Insights at Escalant, and he is focused on the world of automotive and electric mobility. So I'm going to let Ben tell you a little bit about the program EV Forward that he leads there in the consumer panel of qualified new car buyers. But I want everybody for this episode to just kind of start thinking now, if you haven't already, about your vehicle. I'm sure some of you are electric vehicle drivers. I'm sure some of you are prospects. I have certainly done some thinking about it. And I have a question for Ben pretty specifically about something else I read on his LinkedIn profile. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Really looking forward to chatting with you today. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Natalie. I uh, really had a good time at IEX North America in Austin. So it was good to uh, get uh, some FaceTime with you guys down there. Yeah, loved it. Thank you for speaking. And again, congratulations on being an honoree. You know, I think one of the things that cannot be downplayed enough is how important it is that you know about yourself that you stood out from a crowd. And we really have a very special list of individuals who are moving and shaking in our industry who are doing great things. So I really do want to take that moment and just say congratulations. It's a well-deserved honor. When you found out you were getting that recognition, how did that feel for you? What did you, what was your kind of thinking around it? Yeah. So it was kind of caught me by surprise, right? I had been with Escalant for around a year to year and a half about when my, the head of the automotive team approached me and said, Hey, I want to nominate you for this award. I think it would be good for you individually, professionally, good for us as a company. And I was like, Oh, me like, okay, cool. Cool. Uh, I ne- I'd never really been nominated for an award in the work that I've been doing for my career. So that was the first time I actually was nominated for something like that. And through some back and forth with him, our marketing team, Stephanie Salvadero, Lisa Vaselli, who were super important in the process, they helped put together a pretty strong application. And fortunately, I was chosen. And I guess the rest is history. So, yeah, I mean, it's just an honor and privilege and can't thank my company enough for putting me forward. Yeah, I think that's great that they did. And, you know, to, to those people listening, I think one of the things that we have to recognize or or share out on this episode, as we do with all the others, is it really is the individual that stands out. So yes, they helped you, your company helped you put that package together, but there's something about you and your background that makes you particularly special. It's the things that you're doing in your career to really make a difference. And that's what we'd like to spotlight here is, is how you're making a difference. So before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your role, and then we'll we'll dial it back a little bit to talk about how you got to that role, because there's probably some very specific career steps you took along the way on a very interesting resume, if I might add. So first, tell us more about what you're doing. Yeah, so I work on Escalin's automotive and mobility team, and I focus wholly on the electric vehicle marketplace. And what I mean by that is it's a consumer marketplace um, that we manage and we operate and ask questions to throughout the year. So it's 60,000 different new qualified car buyers and shoppers who are expected to buy a car in the next five years. And since we have this group of people, we can just ask them questions throughout the year about everything related to shopping for an electric car, owning an electric car, thinking about an electric car, what their barriers are, what their benefits are, and the things that are kind of holding them back. So we have this this research platform that I manage and I lead, and I work on projects throughout the year that's related to this community that we that we manage. Yeah, it's really it's incredibly cool. And and again, I want to talk a little bit about that because I personally could probably be you know couldn't be on your panel because I 
am a researcher, but also personally could be on your panel because not only are we probably going to be buying a new car again in the next few years, but we have thought about electric cars. And what I want to talk to you about are some of those things. Like I really want to talk about range anxiety, which is something I read on your LinkedIn post or on your LinkedIn page. And I'm like, that is the exact thing that's in my way is I'm so worried about what happens if I'm driving? I drive to DC a lot because my children live down in that area now. And I'm, and I'm like, what happens if there's not enough range? That's the last thing I can fathom on a long car trip. So so anyway, so now I'm sidebarring into it. And I feel like, just tell me what that is, because that feels to me like a big barrier, right? Yeah, I mean, range we find is often the top barrier that people have when thinking about an electric car, right? I mean, the charging infrastructure in place isn't as prolific as gas stations, So people think about EVs in the way that they think about fueling up a gas car, right? If I'm going on a six hour road trip, are there gonna be places for me to plug in and drive away, right? And then at the same time, it takes some time. It's not like a five minute trip to a gas station. It takes 15, 20, 30 minutes to get the adequate range that you want in that car, right? So long journeys, that's where range becomes the issue. But at the same time, people aren't taking those trips very often. Right. They're doing day to day commutes. They're driving around town. They're plugging their car in at home, charging it overnight. Right. So at the same time, range is the barrier. It's an emotional barrier almost. Yes, it gets in the way practically, but it's one of those kind of impediments that people think is there and it's going to be relevant to them. But once they actually own it, they're realizing, hey, I'm not going on 10 hour trips all the time. I only need this to drive from point A to point B to grandma's house to my you know, workplace, whatever. And at the same time, in all those instances, an EV can work perfectly well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool to think about. And um, like I said, it's, you know, my husband, my husband had a Prius for a hot second and he's just really, he's, it just didn't fit him. If you know my husband, you know, he is not short or small by any means. And so like the whole, you know, Prius thing just did not work for him when he first got into one. And yet now like things have changed over the years where now it's like all we're talking about. And every time we go to Whole Foods, I'm like, look, you know, we could be charging, our, we could be, could be charging our electric vehicle right now, Tim. And anyway, so we'll get back into the electric vehicle thing, but talk to me about how you became such an expert, first of all, in this field and that those steps that you took to get to the position that you have right now. It's actually quite impressive. Right. So I guess like my career journey almost was kind of roundabout, so to speak. It wasn't exactly clear cut. I was never really an auto guy. I grew up in a household that had a kind of limited financial situation where I just drove secondhand cars my whole life. Um, Never really spent money on new cars, right? And driving was just for me, it's, you know, a car gets me from point A to point B. And that's the way I've always navigated owning a car myself, right? So I'm not spending, I'm not a new car buyer myself. I don't drive an electric car. I have a Subaru, you know, it's a legacy. It's an old one, but it gets the job done, right? So I'm not exactly an automotive enthusiast. And I found my way into the auto industry somehow, some way. How did I get there? Well, it was a series of, you know, fortunate decisions that happened and you know opportunities that popped up right so i studied my for my master's degree and got a master's in international economics from american university and once i graduated i was looking for a job and found a company in boston that was willing to hire me to work in automotive and it was on the shared mobility space so we were focusing on ride hailing like uber and lyft um, car sharing which is like fractional ownership like you might have heard of like car to go or zip car zip yep right zip cars. so those sorts of companies you know the car's just sitting there and you can go and get it drive it and then put it back and somebody else can take it right so i was looking at those sort of like new age new era transportation paradigms that were developing and i was doing that for about two years and then got recruited to escalant to work on uh, electric vehicles and and during the interview i talked to my superior, who was Mike Devorney at the time. And he was like, you know, you have a def- definitely have a different background. Like I was living abroad for a long time. I had a bunch of different jobs in different countries, got this degree in economics and kind of stumbled into auto. And I was like, is that going to hold me back? And he says, I don't want someone who's an auto enthusiast. I want an outsider perspective. And you bring that to the table. 
And obviously that felt good, but at the same time, a little nerve wracking going into an automotive role, not being an enthusiast, not driving an electric car, but, you know, found a company willing to take a risk on someone like me. And obviously now I've been with Escalin for over two years working on electric vehicles. And, you know, I guess you could call me an expert, but I still, there's still so much out there I don't know about. And at the same time, you know, I'm just doing my best to help the automotive companies in any way that I can. And it's just been a great ride. And uh, learning new things every day. And it's great to be in an industry that's constantly developing and is changing the world that we live in. So it's uh, it's been just an all around great experience. And yeah. <laughs> that's so great. I have a couple of follow-up questions for you. And really the, the reason I'm asking these is because there are some magical lessons in what you were just talking about that I want to tease out for our listeners. Because a lot of the people that pay attention, especially to these episodes with our Futurist honorees, they're paying attention to kind of their career and the trajectory of their career. A lot of people talk about how do we get into this industry, for example. So I love that you're bringing a perspective like, hey, I didn't I didn't plan this, right? This is sort of what happened. And you said something about there were a series of, you know, fortunate steps, that things that happened or decisions that you made that brought you here. And it wasn't necessarily what the plan was, right? What you thought it might be. So what do you think the lesson is in that, in taking the steps that may not be like, yes, this is the step I wanted, but hey, this is the step I'm taking now because an opportunity has presented itself. What do you think? Yeah, I think in all things career, it just requires an open mind, right? It's There's no one has a clear cut path in anything they do. You might see someone who you think has, you know, every idea in the world and they're heading the direction that they envision and they, you know, they've always wanted to go in that way. And I'm kind of more of a skeptic and I think that people figure it out as they go and it's never as clear cut as like, I want to go from where I am now to this point, right? There's all sorts of paths you can take to get to that point. It's never just a clear cut way to get there. I, if you had talked to me five years ago and told me I'd be working on electric cars and electric vehicles and talking to automotive companies about them, I would have said you were crazy. It just wasn't what I was interested in, in at that time. And it just developed as I went forward and I just found my way, you know, heading in this direction and it just, it worked out great. And I think it's just rest, you know, receptiveness to like alternative paths that don't necessarily present themselves to you in the clearest way. But if you're willing to go and navigate them, you know, there's all sorts of rewards that can open up down the line. Yeah, cool. Yes, and I with you 100%. And also shout out to uh, you know, your hiring manager at the time who had said I don't want somebody with that industry experience, right? He wanted that outside lens. And talk a little bit about you know, getting inside his head at the moment, but also what you've learned about it. Why that brought such value to the team. That's a great question and so I think Mike Devorney is the hiring manager. He now works for an AI startup. So he's doing like research on artificial intelligence in the cockpit. Anyway, he had worked for auto companies for a long time. And I think some of the times you can get stuck into traditional ways of thinking, whether it's about the engineering and it's about the way, you know, people have thought about cars forever. Those sorts of like preconceived notions that you can carry with you, especially when you're like super ingrained in the industry and you love it, you breathe it. It's everything that, you know, you care about it more than anything, right? Those sorts of like thoughts can create biases that I think at the same time, you know, are beneficial in some respects, but can hold you back in thinking about people who aren't necessarily thinking that way, right? So when it comes to the new electric vehicle buyer out there, they're not traditional, they're not typical, they're totally different, they're unique. It's a multifaceted type of person that's looking for an electric car. And I think from Mike's perspective, he wanted somebody that didn't necessarily think in the way that auto companies think, right? He didn't want somebody who was just married to an approach or married to a certain car or model or a company or, you know, was ardently in support of some sort of, you know, segment of car or again, I guess, brand or company or whatever. He wanted somebody that could look at things cohesively and, and, you know, have the ability to look critically at what these companies are doing and to, to have almost an outsider perspective because they need it. Right. Yeah. I, I love that ability to look critically. 
at trends, at patterns, at things that we see in research, for example. So at the individuals about their buying patterns, I I think critical thinking is one of the skills that we don't allow enough time for in our day when we're doing the analysis that we're doing or we're doing the strategic planning that we're doing. Anyway, I could I could go off on a tangent about critical thinking, but in my head right now, I'm thinking back to your degree, your, your master's in economics. How have some of those skills that you practiced in academia, and, and I think you were also a graduate assistant, how have some of those skills kind of transferred over into this insights field? Yeah, so I think most of it is basically synthesizing data into a clear, comprehensive, and like direct language, right? So oftentimes, if you're really into data, you might not have the skill set to communicate the findings in a way that's digestible to a layman, right? So I think my degree helped me synthesize large data sets in a way that's communicative, compelling, and educational, right? And I think day-to-day, that's what I do at Escalon all the time, is you take huge data sets, you take qualitative, quantitative data, and you have to find the trends and you have to find the story that exists, whether it's you know telling truths that you already know or whether it's telling truths that you know you, you never would have thought of, right? You have to be able to see that story in the data And I think my degree in econ helped with that a lot. But also, I think it's more about like the high level thinking, right? So the macro trends that you're seeing, like how do they affect households? How do they affect individuals, countries, companies, et cetera? Like being able to see those sorts of broad sweeping changes happening in real time and then understanding the implications for people that are affected by them. I think that's also a big uh, lesson I took from my from my education. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think there's a lot of people that wonder if they can move into this industry from a, an alternative background or something. Not everybody who graduates graduates with you know an, an MBA in marketing or or what have you. Or not everybody who starts in this industry you know comes out with that degree that seems like it's a direct fit as opposed to plenty of people who just get there in an alternative way. So I love thinking about that. I I also love the idea of your ability to look at kind of trends and and the macro the macro trends in our world. So let's shift into that a little bit. Let's talk to me about this this particular trend of electric vehicles and I don't even know if it's still considered a trend, right? It's really just a movement. It's a what do you call it internally? The the shift towards electric vehicle purchase, what can you share that's not proprietary to some of your clients? Yeah, it's the, I guess we call it like the shift towards electrification or the shift towards electric mobility. At the same time, we don't really have like a broad sweeping reference point. It's just like the phase of adoption, right? That we're in. So I guess drawing into this, I can kind of go into EV forward, the project I work on and and how it came to fruition and why it's important, right? So EV Forward, as I said, is a is a consumer new car buyer panel of 60,000 people across the US and Europe. And originally it was created to understand the next generation of electric vehicle buyer, right? When I say next generation, it's those people that are on the horizon. And why is that important? Well, the EV owners of the past were kind of unicorns, right? So if you think 10 years ago, they were buying cars that were priced pretty high in segments that they might not have chosen otherwise, right? They might, you know, a Nissan Leaf or a Chevy Bolt wasn't for everybody, like a subcompact car that costs more than a gas alternative. You don't have the flexibility in choosing an SUV model or a crossover or a truck even, right? You had to choose those segments those cars because you wanted to make an environmental difference. Like that was the core of the decision-making process. They were willing to make sacrifices essentially, but a lot of research in the automotive industry was focused on understanding those people, right? But EV forward and the people who created it at Esclin were thinking, well, why would we predicate all of our research on this unicorn group who made all these sacrifices who bought car, they might not have chosen otherwise, but did it for environmental reasons. There's going to be something that changes once new models come out, once more companies are making them. 
And there's going to be more types of people out there that aren't just thinking about environment, right? They're going into it with a lot more boxes to check than just environmental sustainability or and making an environmental difference. So that's when the next generation of buyer becomes important, right? Because there's a tipping point. Environment matters. It's implied now, but people are coming to electric vehicles for tons of other reasons that they didn't come to them for in the past. One of them is technology. You know, one of them's performance and speed. One of them's, you know, aesthetic value, right? How do I look driving this? Do my friends and family think it's cool, right? So a lot of the time now, these new generation of buyers just have all sorts of things that are now in the calculus that weren't there in the past. I love the thought that the kind of changing face of who these buyers are from from who they once were thought to be to, to who they are now. My, my analogy is... A few years ago, I worked at a, at a full service company and we talked specifically to a group of clean label enthusiasts, for example. And they were they were doing things that were pretty, as you can imagine, people that are interested in clean labels and clean eating and, and you know, again, shopping at Whole Foods and looking for whole whole dietary changes that they could make to consume a certain way. And, and reduce some of the chemicals that they were ingesting, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, what was cool about this is they were also trendsetters, and they pointed to larger trends that would soon start to be mainstream because they were ahead of the curve in that, right? They were they were passionate about these things, this the importance of that clean eating before it became so mainstream to be a clean eater, for example. So I imagine that you're learning things in your community that are indicative of what's coming, right? Very future forward thinkers. Am I wrong in that assumption? Check that out for me. So the timeline here is all of our people are expected to buy in the next five years, right? And that's always going to be future looking. And of course, as I mentioned, like environment matters a lot still. I mean, it's just an implied benefit when it comes to an electric car. But like looking forward we see a huge shift towards technology, right? So those people who were going to electric vehicles early were the you know, early adopters, innovators, but it was environmentally motivated. Now it's like, it's technology. If I'm paying a premium for an electric car, I want the latest and greatest technology, right? I want it to go fast. I want it to be fun. I want it to be versatile. I want it to look cool, not having to, whole and entire internal combustion engine vehicle, manufacturers can pump out cool looking designs that they've never been able to do before. The housing of the engine just isn't required, right? So the shape of these cars looks a lot different, sleeker, flashier. So it's these sorts of next generation concerns by buyers and, and motivators related to technology are starting to be met by the companies that are pumping these out. So if you look at some of the new cars from like Hyundai, Kia, Lucid, Rivian, they're all different than they've ever looked before, right? And it's a possibility that developed because of this, A, appetite for environmental sustainability, but B, this newfound appetite for technology, right? So that's just one kind of example of the future forward looking. And I'm, I know, of course, there's going to be other things that change in the future five years from now, whether it's related to home charging and the way in which people plug in at home and how they set up their homes for it and you know, obviously that's looking down the road, but I think as more EVs are sold in the U.S., people are going to be planning their lives around this to make it easier for them. So that's, of course, you know, looking down the path as well. This concept of, you know, being good for the, you know, I want to do something that's good for the environment and I want to have the latest, greatest high tech, you know, sleek, cool looking vehicle. To me, that's really interesting because in my head, I don't always put those two things together. So I'm curious about what lessons there might be for not just the automakers or the dealers in thinking about that that new person, but what other lessons are there maybe for other industries about shifting consumer profiles? Is that pairing manifesting in other spaces as far as you can tell? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think there are a lot of parallels in terms of the way you should think about your audiences and who buys your products, right? So we find with like electric vehicle buyers, your traditional brand loyalists, like those people who are always coming to you, 
supporting your brand, buying it for generations. Well, if you don't have an electric vehicle out there, but they're interested, well, they're going to cross shop brands, right? So preparing for that sort of shift, like if you're committed to a loyalist type of consumer, sure, you know, that recurring revenue can happen for a long time if you keep producing products that are, you know, fitting their needs. But if all of a sudden you get stuck behind and your audiences are moving in a way that you didn't anticipate, well, how do you adapt? How do you accommodate that need? Because if you're not fulfilling that need, well, they're going to cross shop. They're going to go to different companies that they would have never gone to in the past because they're seeing a product out there that's better than yours. And I think that parallels across so many different industries. You can't just stay committed to one type of audience, even if they're your loyalists, because they could leave if you don't stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. Building on the the idea of like, you know, staying ahead of the curve and knowing your audience and all that. What are some other things that whether it's automakers that might be listening or again, whether it's a dealership or a tech company, what are some other things that they should be mindful of lessons that you've learned in your industry that can be applied elsewhere? So tech companies like utility companies, any company that's being challenged by disruption, it's important to, I guess, in my mind, it's to educate and it's to show your audiences that you're moving in the direction they want you to move. Right. So I think tying this to like electric vehicle hurdles and barriers, right, there's a huge educational component to it when a paradigm shift occurs, right? In the past, and I think this kind of maybe parallels like solar uh, industry, right? So you have, you know, one way of powering and heating your home and that's like oil and gas. And in the in auto industry, it's gasoline and diesel, right? But then all of a sudden there's this new option, it's battery powered or it's solar powered, right? But you're gonna have some people just naturally interested in it for environmental reasons. But then you're going to have all these sorts of things they have to learn along the way. And it's what equipment do I need? You know, how does this change my monthly bill? Like, am I going to be paying more? Or am I going to be paying less? Like, are there federal incentives out there? Are there tax credits I can get? Is this actually going to be cost effective and is it worth the headache? Right. And moving towards those more sustainable solutions or those new next gen products it requires handholding because there's just so much out there that they have to digest and they have to convince themselves that the decision's worth the hassle, right? And when it comes to solar adoption, it's, all right, I'm gonna put these things on my roof and is my monthly bill actually gonna come out to zero or $10 a month like everybody says it will? And then you have your neighbors coming and looking at it and go, oh, that's interesting, but oh, I, I don't know if it's worth the headache. It seems challenging. Like that person needs a lot of help in coming to that decision themselves. And with electric vehicles, it's the same, right? Like, is range really an issue? Like, do I have to, you know, plug this thing in every night? What does it actually cost? Is it the MSRP price or do I get, you know, a $7,500 tax credit or do I get a rebate on my utility bill, right? So I guess tying this all together with any sort of future oriented product launch or paradigm shift, there's a huge educational component that, yes, you're going to have people that are willing to do this and teach themselves. But at the same time, you have to bring the rest of the masses along for the ride with you at some point in time. How do you do that? You have to show them how it's done. You have to teach them. You have to inform them. You have to meet them where they are. And you have to bring them for the, uh, for the, along for the journey with you uh, in some way, shape or form. I love that so much, Ben, because, you know, what you're talking about, the idea of I think you used the phrase handholding at one point also, like the idea that this is a complicated purchase decision and a complicated life change for many, many people, as as I can imagine. And I keep putting myself in like, hey, what if we do go EV with our next car purchase? You know, what behaviors will we have to change? And causing people to change their behaviors is or or trying to to nudge people to change their behaviors requires a lot more effort and a lot more on the part of the company that is trying to 
influence the consumer journey, the customer journey there. So I think, is that the sort of thing that comes out in some of your recommendations when you're working with clients? Do you help them along the way or do you just give them that stellar advice? Like, are you involved in customer experience work as well? It's my question. So customer experience is, I guess it's different than what we're doing with EV Forward. So we tend to focus in on like the actionable things automakers, dealerships, utility companies can do to educate those people, right? So like we kind of set up the guardrails and tell them like, here's what we're finding. Here are the issue areas when it comes to education, when it comes to, you know, familiarity with electric cars, when it comes to exposure, like have they seen them? Have they driven them? Here are the things that are getting in the way. And here's how you can educate. Here's how you can inform. Here's the way you can talk about this. And we set up the guardrails and they can do their own, you know, user experience research. We just haven't really done much of it ourselves. But I think of our product as like a way to kind of shape those sorts of end product, you know, user experience focused research. It's it's we have this existing information and we can use it to go explore you know, our actual drivers or our actual, you know, customers at public charging stations or our actual, you know, subscribers to our utility company, right? So it's our research helps them find the navigable paths to go down and then to like gives them ideas on how to explore that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. No, absolutely. I think it's I think it's I think it's great. And I'm glad you're doing the work that you're doing. And it's, you know, for me, you know, I think about, again, macro trends towards sustainability and what's what's happening and the steps that people are taking towards doing something good for our earth and for also leaning into technology. I just keep thinking that 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 feels to me like those two those two things I don't necessarily link together, although that is certainly the macro trends that are happening all around. Right. The world is moving towards we want more sustainability and the world is le- moving towards very quickly towards the adoption of even more technology, as we know, certainly this year, more than other years, like it's, it's coming and it's coming fast that we're going to be a very different society in a bit. So what are some other kind of trends that you're noticing in this space? You know, whether it's these, these large macro trends or whether it's in vehicles, is there anything else that could be of interest to members of the audience who are either in adjacent fields or even different industries? Anything else that's notable in your work? Yes. Yeah, so I guess if we talk about like the projects that we've done or the methodologies we've employed, so I guess this is for those you know market research listeners. Uh, with the syndicated research study, obviously we have a ton of flexibility in what we can do and what we test and how we test it. Right, a lot more so than a custom project or a client-led project. Like we can test things that might work or they might not. Right. And I think, so last year we had this fun project on battery electric vehicle products, where we took this proprietary qualitative exercise called Evoke that then helped to shift it over into a quantitative analytic tool, right? So you're taking emotions, reactions, feelings, sentiments that people have about specific electric vehicles, right? So we we presented 50 different electric vehicle models that are out there or either in the pipeline or you can currently go out and buy it, gave pictures, descriptions, specs, and just kind of measure their reactions to those vehicles. And then we developed a quantitative output based on these qualitative inputs, right? And it turned into this 55 model database that you can just look at and you can get qualitative information that's captured in a quantitative way for every single electric vehicle out there. Now, this was the first time we ever did it and it worked out great, but obviously it could have, you know, failed horribly, but fortunately it did not. And it turned out to be one of the favorite projects that I think our team worked on last year. So I think in terms of methodology, that's one of the, I guess, cooler things that we did. And obviously the nature of our program just being syndicated in nature allowed us to to go down that path. Yeah, and I guess in terms of like other things we're, we got on the horizon, we're working on a messaging deep dive study that's gonna help automakers understand like how to talk about their electric vehicle products. Like 
What words should we use? Adjectives, statements, what statements lift higher than others? Which ones are, you know, futile and consumers don't care about? So we're taking like existing statements we've seen out there as part of messaging campaigns. And then we're using it to inform our own kind of, I guess, methodology in testing those sorts of statements, right? So it's going to give us a pretty clean and clear look at that entire, obviously the way we talk about things in general is just kind of random and infinite, right? Everybody uses different language, different words, different statements. And the universe of statements about cars is super vast, right? And we're trying to find a way to to kind of sift that down into what matters and, and what resonates. And so that's an exciting one that we're working on uh, in the future. That's cool. You know, I love hearing you talk about research, especially knowing like your, you know, your background wasn't necessarily in, in research methods. And by that, I mean, your education wasn't necessarily in research methods. So how did you get up to speed? I'm turning back to your career a little bit before we wrap. How did you get up to speed in research methodologies and kind of learn the, the actual like day-to-day tactics of conducting research? Did you learn on the job? Did you step outside for some, you know, continued education elsewhere? How'd you get up to speed? Also, when I was in my master's program, I took a internship for with a polling company, so political polling agency. And that's where I learned, like, obviously, you know, how to design a study, how to read the data outputs and cross tabs, um, how to find the story in the data, how to synthesize it, how to build chart deliverables, how to present it in a way that is digestible to the people that, you know, need to use it. And then how does it inform strategy, right? So I mean, the full cycle of working on political campaigns was really useful in heading into this direction because a lot of what I do now is similar to how we set up those polling studies, right? But with polling, it's a lot more precise in how you have to reflect the overall market or state or nation that you're polling, right? With electric vehicle like I guess polling or research, so to speak, it we don't have as many like strict, stringent requirements in following that representative group of people, right? The new car body audience is going to change. So we just have to adapt our methodology, our weighting, our protocols, our quotas accordingly. It's not as strict as it is in polling. So I kind of get away with a little bit more leniency on the design side. So um, but that's how I got into the space and I think that's ultimately what helped make me successful here was working on such fast moving studies because candidates need polling results weekly or biweekly or monthly. And you have to, you know, pump that stuff out really fast on strict timelines and you have to give them ideas and messages, policy statements that matter, because if you don't, that candidate could be speaking in a way that's totally foreign to the audience that that candidate is trying to hit, right? So I think that world is more high pressured than my world. And it really helped me moving over into the industry that I'm in now. So funny, because on this podcast, we've you are not the first person that that started with some political polling that we have talked to collectively. And so what I think is really interesting about that is as people younger people and, and you know we don't necessarily have college students in our audience right now or or graduate students some of them probably are are in our audience but if there are people that have influence over people who are currently at the education stage of their careers it would be really cool if everybody took a polling class right to just to not just learn the steps but also learn how to find that story and how to ask the right questions i mean there's so much to that i think it's great that you brought that up thank you yeah i cannot emphasize enough how much you learn in a political environment like that. I mean, there's a lot of scrambling, a lot of, it's so fast paced, it's pretty cutthroat, but if you can survive and thrive in that sort of environment, everything else just (laughs) easier, right? Yeah, then then you get to go, now let's just talk about cars. (laughs) (laughs) Right, every workplace you go to is, it seems calm after that. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. That's awesome. You know, Lenny and I always say this, every episode we listen to, by the end, one of us is saying like, oh, we really need to be mindful of time because I I do promise that we'll wrap this up at some point and I'm looking at the clock. So I just want to, you know, kind of now turn it over to you and just find out a little bit about like, are there things that you wish I had asked you in our time together that I didn't just ask you about because I became super curious about certain things? 
I don't think so. I mean, unless you want to talk a bit more about electric vehicles or uh, something like that. Well, it's it's funny because as as I was saying, like I'm happy to talk about electric vehicles, and I know that's in our brief too. You know, just the the role of them in the world. I I find that really interesting because I have done some discerning on my end as I as I shared about like, do we want to do that? And across the street, you know, my husband's best friend lives across the street from us, and he has a charger in his you know in his garage, and he charges his electric vehicle. And we've talked about it, but we are we have never been necessarily in that, although we're there now. And so the thing that I find most interesting about them is that discernment process, as you're saying, is, you know, what what people do find to be those barriers. So I am curious about whether there are other barriers that other people experience that I'm like, yeah, I have that one too, other than just that, you know, charging dilemma. First, I guess you, you already said range was one of your barriers. Yeah. What else? You said charging. I, I, what, what other things are you hearing about electric cars that kind of cause you to hesitate. All right. So I'll go there. I'll go there. Uh, somebody challenged me when I brought it up at one point about, you know, is it really better for the environment, right? Is this real? Are we really doing a solid? Are the the batteries there and the, the mining of those batteries? Is that is that really as good for us globally as we say it is? So that's on my mind as a question, curiosity, and also just legislation around it. I think that I just wonder if there are political and kind of legislative things that shouldn't be a part of my car buying decision making, but maybe they're there. So I think those other things would probably pop up if I were on your panel. So how would you speak to those sorts of things? Yeah, so I've seen mining, battery disposal, material sourcing pop up as new concerns, I guess, relatively new concerns over the last year. Typically, the bigger concerns are, is this battery going to last for the lifetime of ownership, right? Like auto companies are doing a pretty good job at guaranteeing those for at least 10 years to 100,000 miles. And they protect you from like full battery breakdown to like crazy battery uh, reduction in capacity, right? So automakers are typically doing the job on that. But again, people have this relationship with their cell phone where they see the battery just slowly deteriorate over time and they think and they expect it to happen with electric cars. But automakers are are setting themselves up in a way that they're going to at least protect you for the typical lifetime of a car, you know, around 10 to 15 years. But the material sourcing, the mining, you see all these stories now about are these things actually as good for the environment as we think they are? And I don't have the answer as to whether or not, you know, it's going to be better for the environment, you know, long-term. I I hope it is. And I I assume it is right. And I think at the end of the day is every single purchase of an EV is one less gas car on the road. It's less CO2 in our air and it's, you know, better overall for breathing it and living in cities and, you know, states around the world. So I think you aren't far off in terms of what people care about. And I, I think at end of the day, it's range. It's, is it going to be a hassle for me to charge? And am I willing to pay more for a car that might not have as proven technology as cars out there already on the road? And with EV Forward, we're doing our best to help automakers talk to people about these issues in ways that are still able to convince them to go with one in the first place, right? And that's my job is to help auto companies navigate these these headwaters and and stay afloat and and understand those issues out there and what people are saying about them. And, and you know, obviously your thoughts, even though you wouldn't qualify for my panel since you're in the group, <laughs> are, they're important to hear about because this is the way people talk about electric vehicles every single day, you know, parties in their backyards. When they're in the store, they see someone in a parking lot driving a, a new electric vehicle. I mean, this sort of stuff is happening in real time. All the conversations that are happening that automakers can't see, like, how do we help them see that stuff? That's that's my job. And that's what we try to do is is help bring to light those these sorts of conversations into their strategy and into their product planning. It, you know, I'm going to give you give you praise right now for for having the last segment of this conversation, having the response of a true researcher, right? You're you absolutely are like, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I hear what you're saying, 
and it's not dissimilar to other things that I have heard. And you are absolutely representing the, the voice of the customer or the the potential customer for that matter. So answered like a true researcher. So really well done on that. How is the audience, you know, I know you spoke at IAX in Austin and thank you again for doing that. Um, but you've also spoken elsewhere, right? So so who else are you speaking to and and how do other audiences besides the insights and analytics industry, how how receptive are they to the things that you share? Yeah, it's funny. I think people love the topic. And I've talked to like dealership organizations. I've talked to like supplier organizations. So they supply component parts to automotive companies. I've talked to, you know, several types of organizations within the auto space, utility space, dealership domain, etc. And I think everybody's talking about EVs, right? And everybody has their own ideas about why this trend is happening, where this trend is going to head, what's holding it back, what's causing it to start in the first place and what's causing them to proliferate. And I think at the end of the day, people like to talk about it because it's so new, it's fresh, it's interesting. And when they see data that can quantify their own concerns or refutes what they already believe, it's fun, it's fresh, it's surprising, it's interesting to the audiences. And the best part about it is people coming up after and and saying, oh, you know, I have this concern or I saw so-and-so driving one and asked them this or, you know, what does it mean for, you know, me as a, you know, single, you know, young adult, like, should I have one? Should I be thinking? So it's everybody already thinks about this stuff. And my job helps to put evidence on the table that either supports their worldview or refutes their worldview. And it's always a fun conversation to have. Well, I love that, you know, cars in general, and, and this will be it before we wrap, but cars in general, I think are, they're so interesting because they really, they are so emotional when you get to like, who am I? What kind of car do I drive? What image do I want to project out into the world? You know, lots of projective exercises from my past as a qualitative researcher is, you know, if, if X brand was a car, what kind of a car would it be? I mean, we even asked that in our twenties, me and a bunch of girlfriends of mine were like, if I were a vehicle, what kind of vehicle would I be? Like we asked a bunch of, you know, young men in a bar one time and we all were labeled different vehicles. Like vehicles have so much imagery and emotionality attached to them. I know that, you know, my son, I have a, one of my, one of my children is almost 24 and he drives a 2015 Ford Mustang blue, beautiful. It's actually parked in my driveway right now because he's home today. And I just keep thinking like, he's such a kid that would love, I'm sure on some level to lean into the technology and to lean into, you know, an electric vehicle, but damn, he likes this car, right? It is a really important car to him and he loves being on the road in it. And I just think that's really interesting for that generation. What are what a what are you seeing with Gen Z? Are they all in or are they still liking these like super flashy young cars? It's funny you ask. We we get a lot of questions now about under 35 audiences. And the best part in my mind is that they're the most receptive, right? They're the ones who are who know a lot other electric vehicle buyers. They know people who own one. They're familiar with it. They read about it. They know the companies that are producing them. They might be, you know, a stockholder in a company. <laughs> Who the heck right. knows? I mean, <laughs> end of the day, I think Gen Z, from what we find, is they're interested in it more so than any other age group demographic. They're thinking about it. They're planning for it. They're anticipating it, and ultimately want to go to it for similar reasons as those early unicorn adopters ten years ago. Right? It's environment. It's technology. And when it comes down to it, it's the second biggest purchase of your life outside of a home, right? So you want to reflect your personality. You want to be proud of it. You want to stand in front of it and get your picture taken with it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the way Gen Z is thinking about it. And automakers are trying to prepare for it. And I think, you know, your son is no exception. It's so funny because just yesterday I shared with my team, oh, look, this is my son standing in front of his, you know, his car when he got it uh, last year. So um, it's a totally relatable concept. It's it's it is it's an extension of his personality. And I love that that shout out just to to Gen Z and anybody who's paying attention to Gen Z, as everybody should be, really. They are really a smart and savvy generation, man. They have they have the ability to research and to learn and they have 
beyond the ability, also the desire to take those purchases really seriously. They're doing the work. So kudos to them, man. They're going to change the world. And they might not have the disposable income of somebody that's 55 plus, but as electric vehicles continue to proliferate, prices can come down. And Gen Z is going to be really on the table for any automaker that's willing to capture them. So it's they're an important group. Yeah, they really are. Very cool. Very cool. Ben, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for your time. Any any final words of final words of wisdom for our listeners about being a Futurelist honoree and what other people can do to kind of make the most of their careers? Yeah, no, I'd say it's a good question, and and I'd say. If you're early in your career, you're early in insights, and you're at an organization that supports you, that you're proud to work at, and uh, you're working on a project that you know really makes you happy and and makes a difference in either your world or you know in the world that you know you're seeing out there. I mean, try to put yourself out on that list and try to get nominated. It's fun. You get flown to Austin. You get your hotel paid for, and you get to <laughs> present and talk to all sorts of interesting people and. I don't know. I think Green Book, from what I know, is pretty cool place and pretty cool organization. I'm just happy to be on the list. And thank you guys for taking the time today. Well, thank you for taking the time today. And again, thanks again for for being one of our speakers. And kudos to you moving forward for the rest of 2023. Listeners, this is the, the portion of the program where I get to thank you for being here, for showing up week after week. I want to thank our producer, Natalie Push. She's a star and um, makes this happen, and I'm just so grateful for her support and her partnership at work. And also, James Carlisle, our audio editor, thank you so much for doing what you do for us each week. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great week, and we will talk to you again real soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.